I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Ty Seifu. And Florida Panthers week is finally upon us. And it would seem that we cursed them because they were like 10-1 and one heading into the week. And then they lost four games in a row where right, right, we started watching them closely. But we're not going to talk about them just yet. First thing we're going to talk about is Carey Price, who returned to the ice. Did he return earlier this week or is he returning tomorrow? I don't. It was one. It was either last Monday or tomorrow. I don't remember. But anyway, uh, he is uh, out of the player assistance program, and he released a statement that I'm going to read. It says, over the last few years, I've let myself get to a very dark place, and I didn't have the tools to cope with that struggle. Last month, I made the decision to enter a residential treatment facility for substance use. Things had reached a point that I realized I needed to prioritize my health for both myself and for my family. Asking for help when you need it is what we encourage our kids to do, and it was what I needed to do. I'm working through years of neglecting my own mental health, which will take some time to repair. All I can do is take it day by day. With that comes some uncertainty with when I will return to play. I appreciate all the overwhelming support and well wishes. I please ask that the media and our hockey community continue to respect our privacy at this time. Your support and respect of this so far has been a critical piece to my recovery. And then signed Carrie at the end. Uh, I think, but see, I love how, how positive the entire reaction has been to this. And some people are saying, oh, you know, let's maybe started with Jonathan Drew and taking a leave uh, last season. And maybe that kind of emboldened Price to do the same thing here. And I can imagine so clearly even as early as like two years ago, and obviously dating back before that, that uh, a star player like this taking a leave of absence would be met with so much hostility for media and fans. People trying to, you know, like spy on him in his home or whatever, be like, oh, he's he's abandoned the team. Even when Tuka Rask left the bubble in Boston, there were some things like that coming out of Boston. And it seems like um, it's been a pretty sharp turn, at least in the hockey world, away from that kind of, uh, you know, vindictive and resentful culture, which is obviously a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's some progress in terms of hockey culture, which is, uh, you know, definitely, definitely something definitely very positive uh, and very recent. So, you know, you, you see this kind of change. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is a bit of a hopeful thing that the, this response to Carey Price, also to Jonathan Duran, you know, after he comes, like during his, his uh, you know, mental health break, and then after he comes back, very warm welcome. Uh, so, you know, absolutely. It's great to see that, yeah, it's almost like predatory, both like the media, you know, trying to chase, you know, you know, the certain members of the media who love to, you know, try to chase down the scoop, get those clicks. Um, I think we really kind of see that, you know, go away, at least to a certain extent. Um, and I think, you know, we can credit that to mostly the attitude that's, you know, around hockey culture as a whole now recently with, uh, you know, this mental health, uh, you know, players prioritizing their mental health, and that comes in a number of forms. Uh, and as for Carey Price, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, this is for a player of his caliber. I mean, this guy is a superstar, right, in this league. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about those player polls that we talk about all the time, you know, like these players think he's the best goalie uh, in the entire league. Uh, correctly or not, um, but you know this is a bona fide superstar taking a break, um, and you know coming back, and he's being very, very you know honest with his struggles. I mean, like he directly addresses the fact that he was struggling with substance abuse, uh, and that's why he went to you know the treatment facility. Uh, and yeah, and and hopefully you know we've we've talked about in the past. You know, uh, this is just like about a month ago uh, when Robin Lehner talked about uh, you know substance abuse. Uh, and you know opioids in the NHL 
and how that's still very much a pervasive problem that hasn't been addressed at all. Uh, and hopefully, you know, with steps like these, with players, with, with this with this amount of like superstar caliber, like Carey Price coming forward, you know, taking the, the big step, being extremely courageous uh, and putting themselves out there uh, and publicizing their, their, you know, search for help uh, and, you know, addressing the problem like this for their mental health. Uh, hopefully, you know, it's a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, addressing that, that bigger problem of substance abuse in the NHL. For sure. Uh, looking forward to, Carey's eventual return to the ice whenever that may be and looking forward to the, the grand ovation he's going to get that he will definitely deserve. Uh, let us now talk about the team that we have been chasing down for about three weeks and we finally settled on them in the worst week of the season so far. The Florida Panthers. Uh, now, it's funny because obviously this week doesn't really give us a glimpse into what the Panthers season has been like so far due to the fact that 80% of their losses were confined in these last seven days. Um, but I also, like these last two games especially, it was like a shootout loss to Pittsburgh, then an overtime loss to Tampa Bay. They played well. Obviously, they were close to winning both of them. So I feel like those two did give us a, a bit of a better sense of what's going on in Florida. But in general, I, I noticed that I find this isn't because they're a good team. They're not the type of team that will lose flamboyantly. Like when they lose, it tends to be, because like uh, their stars were a little bit quiet that night and the Gustav Forsling Radko Gudis pair was bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, discounting that devil's loss, I would count that as, as losing pretty flamboyantly, giving up seven goals to the fucking devils. But aside from that, you know, the last two games, um, yeah, it was just like, it felt like their secondary scoring, which has been, which, you know, before this week was, you know, really set up. I mean, in terms of stars, I mean, Bark like that Barkov line, especially Barkov himself. He's they're absolutely still rolling. I think they he scored a goal in both games. Uh, I think maybe like three or four games this week. So he's still rolling. I think it's a bit of like the, you know the second line, the Huberto line, uh, and obviously that bottom six, which has you know maybe taken a step back. Maybe it's a bit of regression. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but yeah, they they just haven't really provided the scoring. Um, now when it comes to the goaltending. Uh, I think that's what I want to highlight because this has been an interesting narrative. I mean, everybody's fucking talking about Sergei Bobrovsky turning back the clock like six years all of a sudden. Um, yeah, he's been absolutely insane. And on the other hand, we have Spencer Knight, who, you know, Bobrovsky was uh, injured earlier this week. Uh, and so he missed a couple of games. And the Rangers, uh, I guess the Rangers and the Devils, both, the lo- both of them losses. I mean, Knight looked a bit lost out there. He gave up some weak goals, gave up a lot of goals. And I mean, this is just like the Bobrovsky turnaround combined with Knight coming off, you know, to a slow start, which, I mean, can be expected for a young goalie. Uh, I mean, like, they've been riding Bobrovsky, and that's I think that's one of the bigger stories surrounding this team, and it it's really kind of showed in this week. I mean, really, the reason that they got those two points this week against the Penguins and Lightning was, you know, Bobrovsky played great, even though they ended up losing. Yeah. Um, that game against the Rangers, that first one of the week, the goaltending really was the difference because, you know, Spencer Knight, as you said, Shaky, that might be putting it nicely. Meanwhile, Igor Shesterkin, Vesna frontrunner of the New York Rangers and superstar on my fantasy team as well, made it was like 42 saves. Yeah, Florida outshot the Rangers 45 to 18 in that game. It was a totally dominant performance by the Panthers, and then they lost four to three. Not only that, they were actually down four nothing until quite late in the game, and they scored three goals in the third period. Um, one thing I, I mentioned the uh the Forsling Gudis pairing for Florida. I'm not exactly sure what the the analytics look like on them. Uh but 
I found most of the time, like last night uh, against Tampa Bay, both the regulation goals, it was that pairing on the ice. It looked like there was a blown coverage on at least one of them by Radko Gudis. Meanwhile, Gustav Forsling, who I kind of uh, thought was this, you know, cool, you know, rebound story. He was looking like he was going to be a career minor leaguer, and then he kind of shot up the ranks in Florida. It was like a waiver claim, I think, from Vancouver. Surprise, surprise. I'm sure they could use a decent defenseman. But from what I was watching, I was like, yeah, this kind of seems like uh, – um, I'm trying to think of an advan- an example of like he's kind of like a poor man's Tyson Berry, where he you know has a decent amount of offensive skill, uh, but is is very prone to defensive lapses. And that Rangers game, the one that really stuck out was the fourth Rangers goal. Uh, I was kind of Jack Johnson like to be honest. He made a pass, a breakout pass that went straight to Jacob Truba, who then you know turned it around. Rangers have an odd man rush the other way, and Gustav Forsling defending the two on one or the odd man rush, whatever it was. Uh, kind of just slides into the corner and lets the Rangers walk in. And I was like, hmm, not very impressive. And my my early take from the small sample size is that if the Panthers do have an ultimate downfall or Achilles heel, uh, it might be that forsling Gudis pairing. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, from what I saw earlier, because I know we've been kind of like hovering about the Panthers for like three weeks. Um, the first two weeks, I thought that, that Gudis forsling pairing was actually you know, not bad. I mean, they held on the four pretty well for like a second pairing. Um, I don't know what it is this week. I mean, but I thought they were gelling pretty well up until this week. I don't know. Like maybe it's the coaching with the change, you know, like Brunette coming in, uh, obviously, you know, replacing Quenville there. Uh, but I think they've, they've shown like a little bit of, is it regression? Maybe they've just gotten more like, you know, maybe, the, maybe he's changed up this, like Brunette's changed up the system to the point where it doesn't fit. But I thought they were like really, kind of vibing and I thought that was one of the reasons why the Panthers were doing so well was because you know they they their, their forward group was absolutely just you know filling it up line after line but also you know that Gudis Forsling pairing was like surprisingly good because like on paper you look at Radko Gudis you're like this guy in a top four role you're absolutely screwed um but uh so you know maybe they're coming down back down to earth a bit uh you know just both in terms of like you know coming back to their their projected on paper value uh but you know it'll be something definitely to track because I you know, I think up until basically this week, where it kind of felt the shit, uh, especially in that Rangers game, um, I thought they were actually pretty good from what I saw in the the games uh, a couple weeks before. So I think that's you know we'll we'll see how they hold up. And I think yeah, absolutely, it's it's pretty they're pretty instrumental in terms of uh, you know keeping the Panthers afloat. I mean, even after the first, these four losses, the Panthers are still like first in the division. It's pretty wild, and uh, I mm-hmm. mean they're still in good shape moving forward. Yeah, I was going to mention the coaching because obviously Quenville deserved to be let go. But when you remember the Panthers were undefeated at that point, and that's a pretty unique situation when you're rolling as a team on the ice, then all of a sudden you have a new coach in place that probably messes with the player's head, at least to some degree. Not to mention, uh, we don't really have any idea how good of a coach Andrew Brunette is. And uh, obviously the jury's still out on that one. But if the Panthers, you know, do kind of continue this slump, then maybe all of a sudden, you know, you have this interim head coach. You're supposed to be no, no, normally interim head coaches take over because like the team is bad uh, and it might be a lost year to begin with. But the Panthers are uh, a playoff team for sure and probably want to contend for a Stanley Cup. So if Andrew Burnett proves in this next month or so that uh, he's not fit for the job, then maybe Florida is a little more desperate to rush into finding a new guy who's a little more qualified. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're actually, you know, slowly Bill Zito's, you know, maybe 
looking around, seeing what's available, because, you know, this certainly isn't an optimal start for Brunette. Uh, I think he's definitely on a short leash while, you know, being an interim coach, definitely you are. Uh, and, I mean, this is a team that is a Stanley Cup contender, or at least definitely strives to be, given that their start to the season, how well their roster's constructed. And so, you know, this is this is no time to fuck around. You know, this is not a rebuild. Um, the time to win is now. You know, the players are here. I mean, it seems like you got the goaltending together for once. And... So you you got to win now, and there's really don't take any chances. And you know, with an unproven guy like Brunette, if he gets off to a slow start, um, or especially an extended one, um, there's no indication to show that he'll turn it around. Really, uh, the one thing you know, the one name I saw floated around as soon as Quenville was fired, uh, or you know, resigned, whatever it was, uh, was uh, uh, well, John Tortorella. And God, that would oh, be God. such a fucking bad idea! <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! I mean, I saw I saw Tortorella's name, uh, you know, flying around for Chicago too, and like, ah, oh God, I just I can't imagine um, how just how bad of a move that is. It's just like you know, especially for Florida though. I would hate to see that for Florida. We know how you know he drives away Star Town. I mean, look at the comments he made about Connor McDavid this week. Tortorella for ES, like say. he's running for ESPN right now. This guy's like, you know, like, oh, you can't play, you can't always, you know, like score goals or whatever the fuck it was. Like, bro, what do you think the game of hockey is about? Dumb shit like that makes you want to say, like, no way. You have, like, stay away from these Panthers forwards. You're going to ruin them. Stay away from Barkov. I, I don't want that on my fantasy team at all. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, so we'll, we'll see in terms of, but I think he's on a short lease, Brunette is, and hopefully Tortorella doesn't find his way into that job. Yeah, when um, people were talking about, oh, what if Tortorella coaches Chicago, uh, people started pointing out, like, man, you would really have to feel bad for Seth Jones, who has to be, you know, be coached by John Tortorella for years in Columbus, finally escapes, then all of a sudden John Tortorella follows him there. But in terms of Florida, it would be the same thing with Sergey Bobrovsky, because didn't they kind of have, like, a, a pretty big feud at some point when Bobrovsky pulled him out of the game, and then, you know, you're supposed to, and then Bobrovsky ended up, like, going home in the middle of the game when you're supposed to stay there and be the backup. Uh, so I don't, I think even just that fact that Bobrovsky and Tortorella have such a contentious history um, might turn Bill Zito off to that. Uh, but in, in response to that McDavid thing, Frank Saravalli, I think had a pretty good response. Like, Oh, if we're talking about how the best player in the world needs to change how he plays in the playoffs, then maybe it's, you know, the sport itself that should change and not the actual player. Um, I'm looking for another tweet right now that I thought was really funny. Um, and I just want to make sure I give credit to the person. Here it is. Uh, at Ava Tarrant, Connor McDavid should just tweet, who the fuck is John Tortorella and turn his phone off? <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that, would uh, that would do it. I mean, yeah, I, this, this is a kind of like old man take that, you know, drags the sport back in terms of on ice quality, uh, you know, and viewing quality for, for television viewers. I mean, what do we want to see? I mean, we, if we want to quickly mention since we're on the McDavid note, his fucking insane goal against the Rangers. Oh, we'll get to that later. We'll have a a full section on that. Okay. All right. All right. We'll have a full section on. Okay. Um, But you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that we want in the game. Uh, And we want Connor McDavid to be goal oriented, so to speak. And, you know, for a player of of his talent, frankly, I don't care about his defensive game, even though he's been making strides in that sense. Um, So, you know, stupid comments like this, uh, you know, not only do they do they really expose John Tortorella for being, you know, a troll level hockey analyst, but also, uh, yeah, we don't we don't need this shit. I want I want I want the Connor McDavid stuff. Juice it up, make it five four games. I want all of it. 
I admittedly didn't watch that Tortorella clip, but I imagine that that insane McDavid goal was what prompted him to be like, oh, but he should play different. Uh, because that's what everyone was talking about for like at least two days or so following the goal. Anyway, um, that Panthers embarrassing loss to the Devils. Uh, there was one bright spot for the team to come out of it. And it was that Alexander Barkov uh, became the all-time leader in Florida Panthers goals. Did you did you catch that when it happened? Yeah, I did. Um, which is, uh, you know, good for him. Pretty crazy. Uh, for like, when was this franchise instituted? Franchise. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I have a little, I have a little section on this. Uh, it's because it's fun. Okay. I think. Do you know all how right, many goals right. Barkov has to lead the Florida Panthers all time since their inception in 1992? Do I know the number? I don't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it is a mere 190 goals. No Florida Panther has ever scored more than that. Uh, he passed Ole Jokinen, who was the leader with 188, and Jonathan Huberdeau's in third, not far behind at 172. So it's quite conceivable we could see Barkov and Huberdeau kind of being hand-in-hand hand in that stat uh, and probably just absolutely running away with it, being so far ahead of everyone else by the time uh, their careers are done as Panthers. And Huberdeau is actually the all-time points leader for the Panthers right now at 512, and only 13 players have 200 points for the Florida Panthers, including 13th place of Genny Dadanov. Nick Bugstad is 14th at 191. Uh, so this seems pretty unimpressive at first glance, and including the fact that only 34 players have 100 points. And that really didn't seem like a lot. So what I did <laughs> is, Holy shit. Is, is I went uh, to the team that came into the league at the same time as Florida, which was the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Uh, and they actually have even fewer players with 100 points. They only have 25, uh, including the likes of Nick Ritchie and Matt Bolesky and Joffrey Lupel. And actually, Andre Kasha is 26th all-time for that team with 96. Uh, but a key difference is that they also have Getzlaff, Solani, Corey Perry, and Paul Correa, who are all well north of 600 points, uh, whereas, as mentioned, Florida's leader is uh, Jonathan Huberto, 512. <laughs> I mean, what a what a miserable existence uh, for a franchise uh, up until this point. Obviously, we've known about how. Uh, I mean, what was what was their streak in terms of like was it lack of playoffs or without winning a first round? Well, they still like they that. still haven't won a playoff round since 1996. Right, exactly. So you know, a franchise of misery, uh, and they've been bad basically for the entire existence, uh, aside from you know the last couple of years. One where and this is why, like you know. Florida being this good, being a contender, is a bit weird. I mean, it's due time, and like the, they're definitely built like on paper. The rush is good enough for it. But uh, I mean, this is a team that you know you go back ten years. Every single year, you're like, all right, they're they're thirteenth in the Eastern Conference. That checks out. Um, so <laughs> you know, and then you have <laughs> an impressive, a very impressive cast of leading scorers. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their list right now. And I barely recognize past like number four or number like Nathan Horton's on there. He's number six. Yeah. Some dude named Victor Kozlov is number seven. Pick, Nathan Some dude Horton named to you. <laughs> Who's Robert Svella? I was he the eighth leading scorer for uh, the Who is Florida Robert Panthers. Svella? That's uh, that's fucking whack, man. And some dude named Radic Dvorak. I know Radic Dvorak. Is he related? To honestly, Christian? who is? I don't think so. But uh, who is Robert Svella? 
sounds like the potential name for some trivia game that you'll come up with. Alright, I'll... <laughs> yeah, I'll save that one for, for the next time my turn comes around uh, for trivia making. Who is Robert Svella? Uh, that, that has uh-huh. the, that has the uh, potential to be a fucking bad quiz. I gotta say. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next up was their shootout loss to Pittsburgh, three to two. Uh, as you kind of mentioned, Bobrovsky kept a minute. I mean, he stopped a couple breakaways in that first period and everything. Uh, and I feel like um, this game is the one where I kind of noticed Barkov the most, or maybe not. Maybe not exactly that. Uh, but the fact that like the Panthers were you know getting sloppy. They get can get anything going. They gave up like a bad odd man rush for the second goal in the near the end of the second period. And then early in the third, it just felt like Barkov was like, "Allow me," and he's like, "I'm going to score now." And then he did that, and it was like, "Oh yeah, I guess you really see why he's a captain, and he's going to get ten million dollars a year moving home, moving forward." And he made it look pretty easy. Yeah, absolutely. That's why he's an excellent elite fantasy pick uh, out there in the second round. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean this guy. He's he's really like superstar. You know, we talked about it when when they signed the deal. Uh, this guy is superstar to the point where you know you don't have to worry about it. You know, this guy you know he drives he drives play obviously. Uh, you know, the guy that everybody thinks is underrated to the point where he's almost overrated. But he's you know he, he's he's almost unoverratable uh, to make up a completely nonsense word. Um, and yeah, he'll take over. Get he'll score a goal. Say fuck it. I mean, I think he's on some kind of point streak right now. Uh, and I think, what is it? Has he scored an, uh, a point in every game this week? I think he definitely did on that in that sense. So, I mean, he's just tearing it up. He's fucking tearing it up. And he's and so, you know, this team, I, as I said, mentioned earlier, uh, maybe their secondary scoring is, you know, di- bi- taking a, a bit of a, a dip as of late. But uh, he still manages to, you know, keep them in games, you know, score goals like that and uh, give him that one point. Uh, the, you know, the shootout point, the overtime point. Yeah, even when they don't, you know, they're, they're the worst team. The name of this episode is going to be Unoverratable, by the way. I've already decided. Perfect. You'll have to see it. All right. And next up, yesterday's loss to Tampa. Yeah. My, main, my main note on that one was that, about the Panthers at least, was how good that Jonathan Huberto goal was. It was, I can mm-hmm. only vaguely remember it, but I wrote something like that Huberto goal. Oh, so good. And I remember him holding onto the puck for a while and then just kind of sort of doing a half spin and then firing the puck top corner. And I was like, oh, that was nice. And I really think Huberto is potentially as underrated as Barkov, just kind of in a different way. Like, obviously, you know, Barkov is kind of, you know, captain, two-way center, superstar, franchise player type of thing. But I think in terms of, like, the pure skill that some players have across the NHL, people think of guys like, you know, obviously McDavid in a, in a class by himself. Then, you know, guys like Kane and... Mitch Marner, I think there's a case we made that Jonathan Huberto is in the is in a tier with those guys in terms of like you know wingers with raw offensive talent. Yeah, wow, that's that's quite the high compliment uh, for Jonathan Huberto. I don't know if I put him in that tier quite yet, but uh, yeah, that goal like he like fainted at spinorama almost and then like sniped it uh, on Vasilevsky. I was uh was quite the goal and it, and it tied them and it brought them to overtime in the end. So uh, I mean, yeah, that was in the second period, but still. It's what eventually tied the game, uh, and so yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is part of why you know Florida they they can manage they can afford to put him on the second line, uh, you know, next to Sam Bennett, and they've got two lines that are you know they've got offensive dr- dynamos right driving the lines, and that's part of you know what makes their depth so good, and uh, 
you know, when and so you know, even when one line is a bit off on an off day, you got the other one, and you have Barkov, who yeah, can go ahead and take over games. Uh, and Huberto's uh, able to contribute offensively in a big in a big role as well. So you know, that's part of what makes this Florida team tick. And I mean, that's why they got that's part of why they got off to such a high hot start, right? Like, what did they end up scoring like four or five goals like every single game for a stretch of like ten games, right? Um, and that's a big reason why, right? Like, you have two lines with a bona fide superstar, kind of, kind of like the Oilers. Obviously, not the same degree, um, and they're not both centers. But uh, when you when you can afford when you have enough talent in your forward core to split those guys up, and it makes sense. Uh, I mean, that's why that's how you get uh, you know scoring as dominant as, as Florida has. Yeah. Uh, my favorite fun fact about the current Florida Panthers is that they have three of the top four picks of the 2014 draft on their team. Aaron Eckblad, Sam Reinhart, and Sam Bennett. And it's so funny now, like looking back on the draft, because it was pretty obvious Ekblad was going to go first. But, you know, there was rumblings like, oh, is Sam Reinhart like the higher upside player? Oh, are they going to take Sam Bennett? And I remember Sam Bennett was ranked number one in the Hockey News draft ranking. Uh, and the first sentence was something like, oh, scouts get super excited when they talk about Sam Bennett. Uh, and now all of a sudden Florida is like, yeah, 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 we took one. We took our favorite one. But uh, why not take, you know, all three of them? And then, of course, there's the fact that Dry Settle went third overall, uh, which, uh, you know, I'm sure if Florida could trade Aaron Eckblad for Leon Dry Settle, they would. But I think it's funny that Florida ended up with three of the top four players in that draft where they when they had the first pick. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe their logic is we missed out on dry side. Let's just consolation prize. Let's get everybody else. Um, but you know, that's you know, it would fun. be what you get. Yeah, it would be very easy for them to acquire Michael Dalcol, the fifth pick in that draft, if they really wanted to. <laughs> I mean, you could go for Jake for Tannen too at that point. I mean, his value is no. Uh, they probably should. <laughs> I'm not saying they for quality purposes. Not. I I never said they should. I said they could, um, if they wanted to, if they really wanted to take this bit that much further, you know. Um, if they really wanted to take, think, if they what they wanted to, you know, sign a sex offender just for the bit, then I suppose it would be possible. Yeah, I guess so. That that would be that would ruin the brand. Did that slip your mind? I, I gotta say, it it did, definitely did slip my mind. Um, All right. So uh, yeah, d- stay away, stay away from Jake Fortanen. That's a it's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. And I mean Hayden Fleury, you know, seventh pick. He's okay, but he's he's on the crack. And I'm sure, uh, honestly, that would probably be an upgrade on their bottom pair over Lucas Carlson. So that could even be a, a reasonable target for them. There we go. Maybe they should have traded. I should run the Panthers. Who knows? You know. <laughs> I should run the Panthers. I'm gonna be here. We got Ekblad, Reinhardt, Bennett. I'm going to get Dal Cole. I'm going to get Hayden Fleury. And uh, I'm going to get Nick Ritchie, too, off the Leafs, even though he sucks ass. I'm going to get more than half the top 10 on my roster. Perfect. Wow, this guy's this guy uh, got a crazy philosophy. I don't think we've seen anything like it in the NHL. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, in terms of uh, if they ever... I think you've got the tools to ace that job interview. If you, if you can ever get there. Yeah, what's your vision um, for our team? I'm going to acquire as much of the first round of the 2014 draft <laughs> as possible. You're hired. <laughs> there we go. For the bit. For the memes. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Do we have anything similar like that in the NHL? We have... Uh, I feel like I, we The have. Flames had Maybe a bunch of... 
the Flames had something with like the 2013 first round, I think, at some point. They, well, they have Monahan, obviously, and they traded for Elias Lindholm also, who were the fifth and sixth picks in that draft. They also have Nikita Zadorov on their, their team, who was the 16th pick. They also had two other first round picks that year who never made the NHL, Emil Poirier and Morgan Klimchuk. Trying to think, I feel like there might have been other players from that first round on the Flames that I can't think of right now. There, that's the best I can do. Uh, I mean, they had they had uh, Kirby Reichel, didn't they, at one point? <laughs> oh, yeah, sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, all right. Ho- hoarding draft classes. That's a bit teams should do more often. If you're ever in that's a pickle. It's a good bit. It's a good bit. It I is a good say. bit. It's a good fucking bit. It is a good bit. All right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's. I have Panthers one more... I have oh, one more yep. player about the Panthers. I want to know if you have any thoughts about Anton Lundell. Do I have any thoughts about Anton Lundell? Not in particular. It sounds like you why? don't. I didn't, I didn't really notice. Uh, Not really. Why? Yeah, okay. I didn't notice him much either. Uh, and, you know, for a guy who, you know, is 20, he's in his draft year plus one, uh, who was a 12th overall pick. Uh, and he had a great year right after his draft in uh, the Finnish Liga. And people were talking, oh, he might be NHL ready. And Florida was like, yeah, come on in. You're NHL ready. And I guess he kind of is NHL ready. I just, when you have a player who's that young, that you uh, bring them to the NHL uh, a little bit before their arc would have maybe suggested, I kind of maybe hope, kind of like Lucas Raymond, you would hope that they're really a standout and they're, they undeniably belong there. I can't help but feel that, you know, with someone like Lundell who's like, yeah, I guess he's a good third-line center. And maybe you would want to put him in the AHL for a little bit, let him dominate down there, get used to North America, and that probably helps him reach a, a higher ceiling down the line, even though he is doing quite well so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, in terms of development, I think I tend to lean that way too, where it's like if you can afford to leave him down in the minors uh, and you know give him that extra development time, that space to really become dominant, I think it's well worth it rather than, you know, you maybe you rush him up or maybe he, maybe he meets does meet that. You know, he's an NHL player. Uh, but when we're talking about like 12th overall, you want more than just an NHL player, right? Uh, you want it to become like a star, right? An absolute stud. So, yeah, and I think in order to do that, you have to like really trying to build his confidence, build his game out there in the minors against lesser competition. You know, keep him competitive, but, you know, lesser competition, let him really, you know, develop his strengths, work on his weaknesses so he won't get exposed in the NHL. And... I mean, yeah, that way, you know, like we've talked about in, in terms of the Habs development uh, and even really the Rangers too. Well, not so much the Rangers, but like the Habs have tended to yo-yo their prospects. I mean, uh, see Cole, Cole Caulfield this week. Uh, we'll see if they manage to yo-yo his ass. Um, but, uh, you know, that that doesn't work, right? You need, these players need stability. And honestly, third line, fourth line isn't really stability. Uh, so unless you're really showing out like Lucas Raymond, I think, you know, you give them a try, maybe at the beginning of the year. If they're not really popping, uh, I say send them down, let them work. And, uh, yeah, you don't, you really don't want to risk it with these, you know, top 15 picks out here. I guess with Lundell, the other argument would be that, like, you know, you say, oh, yeah, you are our third-line center. No pressure to perform higher than that. Uh, no risk that we send you down. That is a kind of stability, I guess, when, you know, your responsibilities are limited you got to play on a line with Sam Reinhardt and Frank Vitrano, who are two pretty good players. I think I even saw Frank Vitrano in like the top 40 on the Panthers all-time scoring list. So how's, how's that for an all-star? Uh, 
and I don't I don't really think this is gonna turn out disastrous. Like I don't imagine they're gonna do like say what Montreal did to Kotkaniemi of being like, oh yeah, let's healthy scratch you now. He's playing, he's okay. Despite the fact that according to hockey reference, his Corsi four percentage is about forty two percent, which leaves something to be desired. But uh i I was kind of I guess the reason I was kind of uh zeroing in on Lindell was that was that was one of the players I was excited to watch. Like whenever a high pick, you know, has just shown up in the NHL, I'm extra excited to get my eyes on them and I was he didn't really stand out much. So I was like, hmm, should they have left him in the minors? But I don't I really don't think this is gonna turn into some sort of development disaster. Alright. Well I hope for his sake that it won't. Um yeah, I just I don't know. I would personally if I was leading the organization, uh, you, you don't need to take on that kind of risk, I feel. And, like, if anything, if he's dominating, you could just bring him back to the playoffs at the end of the year, you know? Tack him onto the roster. See how he does then, you know? At Caulfield. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. But, and that kind yeah. of boost, when you have, like, when you have a great player in the minors or in college or in Europe who joins your already good team just in time for the playoffs, that can be a, a really big uh, boost. And, like, not just in that makes the team better, but it kind of adds, like, an extra playoff spark to the team that, you know, works a lot of the time. We saw Cole Caulfield is a perfect example of it from last year. And it looks like this is kind of random, but that the Blues might do that with Scott Perunovic, uh, who's right now leading the AHL in scoring as a defenseman. And people were saying, oh, Scott Perunovic might already be like the third best defenseman in the entire Blues organization. But it seems like they're just letting him stay down there, at least for now. But I... Don't know how much longer he can totally tear up the American Hockey League before the Blues are like, all right, let's take Robert Bortuzzo out of our lineup and give you a shot. <laughs> yeah, and like my my question is, aside from maybe you know bruising the player's ego a bit, what's the harm? Well, like, what's the harm for you know in terms of leaving this guy uh, down in the minors for a little bit uh, if he's not you know game breaking talent just quite yet? Uh, I mean, obviously you know a little maybe he's a minor upgrade on whoever you've got plugged in the bottom six in the case of Lindell, uh, but, you know, I, I honestly don't see the harm in leaving him down there, letting him tear it up, build his confidence, whatever it is, you know, and now now that he's gotten a bit of a taste for the NHL, you know, he knows what's expected, he knows what the game is like, uh, and the, uh, you know, what what he needs to, to bring his game to the next level, so I think, yeah, I, I, I really fail to see the harm in sending him down, obviously yo-yoing him is not the way to go, but, you know, until he's really tearing it up, I mean, Alice Scott Perunovic, if you will, uh, waiting longer. I just, uh, I don't really see it going wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's yeah. middling in the minors, then it's a problem. They're not ready for the NHL, right? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with letting them break it out or breaking it open in the AHL. Mm, even like with a guy like Lundell, you could run into a situation where it's like, okay, yeah, he's having a pretty decent start of the year. What if we go another 10 games, another 15 games, and all of a sudden, he dries up, starts to, you know, goes on a bad stretch and then loses confidence. Then all of a sudden, you're probably starting thinking, oh, should we send him down to the AHL? And then, you know, that could potentially set you down a path of, you know, yo-yoing him. Oh, yeah, he's just had a great week in the AHL. Let's bring him back up. And you get into that same pattern again. I know obviously I'm kind of predicting the future, but that type of thing has happened a lot. Maybe I've just been too focused in on what goes on in Montreal. But, like, I feel like you want a type of player especially a young player, when they're on your team, you want to know and you want them to know that even if they have a bad week or a bad two weeks, their spot on the team isn't in jeopardy because then all of a sudden, you know, you start to, the players start to tense up, start to think, oh, I better not make any mistakes. I better please the coach. 
and uh, you know that can really affect your your confidence, and it can affect how, how good you are, obviously. Yeah, the stability is important. You don't want to feel threatened, and you know sometimes it can serve as a motivator. But often we see that you know they just can't if you just can't figure out your game. Um, and uh, you know Montreal, we talked about is a huge culprit, and not just like staying on the team. But also just like, you know, spot in your lineup. I mean, we saw Galchenyuk, that was a whole thing, right? First line, fourth line, up and down, up and down. Uh, I mean, he was on the team the entire time. They never really sent him down to the AHL, but he was still never able to find, you know, really a home in terms of his play. So, yeah, you, the stability, I think, is most important we see with this, you know, with this the player development and also, you know, not overwhelming them with too much competition or too much, uh, you know, too much of a high level of competition. Uh, you combine those two, and, you know, if you combine it with good coaching, I think usually uh, they, they turn out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, should we pivot over to Bob Murray now? Sure. Let's do it. That's the uh, big okay. piece of news this week. Let's do this. So basically, uh, the NHL, in light of the Chicago Blackhawks scandal, basically sent a memo to everyone saying, if there's any abuse going on within your teams, you better report it to us. And then a bunch of Anaheim Ducks uh, current employees, possibly. I'm not sure if there are any former employees involved. Uh, were basically like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's report the fact that uh, Bob Murray is a terrible guy and an uh, abusive asshole. Uh, verbally ab- abusive was uh, mostly what I was hearing. I haven't really seen any concrete stories yet, but obviously uh, – this happened. It's been going on his entire tenure as a Dutch GM, dating all the way back to 2008. He was one of the longest tenure GMs in the NHL. Uh, and basically, like a day or two after this, he resigned. And I think the uh, owners of the Ducks are paying for him to enter an alcohol uh, abuse, what, what is it, a substance abuse assistance program, something like that. Uh, and the, the one concrete story i think i heard or it wasn't even that concrete it was kind of an anecdote that he like he threw a chair at someone which is uh, but which he contested at some point saying like oh i was actually just feverishly shoved a chair out of the way on my way to console my players after a game seven loss uh so basically the vibe we're picking up on is he ran his hockey team uh just by being mean to everyone uh and I imagine due to the fact that so many people a felt the need to report this and B weren't even that surprised that it was reported from people who just generally knew he wasn't well liked that uh, he had crossed the line many, many times and either no one ever bothered to do anything about it or no one felt empowered to do it to up until this past week. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that this guy, you know, he was running it like a fucking child, you know, throwing temper tantrums, uh, you know, fits of rage and all that stuff. Uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the vibe, right? That nobody was really kind of surprised that this guy got busted, uh, for being, you know, a, for, you know, uh, basically creating a toxic workplace culture. Now, yeah, we talk about that throwing chair. I believe that was the subject subject of a lawsuit, uh, back when it happened. Um, like he threw a chair and it hit, I think it was like someone, like, uh, someone working for the TV network, uh, basically. And then she ended up suing him. So you know, th- yeah, that that's a, that's already a red flag back like I don't know how many years. That was probably like seven, eight, ten years ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, good riddance. It's a good thing that I mean, that's that's one good thing that we can come that can come out of this. You know, hopefully a potential sort of culture shift 
in terms of this reporting this kind of behavior because it's not it's not acceptable, right? Uh, this guy was just uh, the embodiment of you know white male privilege, clearly, uh, to be able to fucking run your mouth like that uh, and and be verbally abusive to people. I mean that just that shit doesn't fly anymore. And yeah, it's a good thing that he was reported. Uh, and so you know, hopefully. That is that is a change that we see in the culture moving forward uh, into more of a reporting culture and an accountable culture. And uh, I mean, yeah, that's what we're, we're we're seeing here. Bob Murray, as soon as you know these people formally complained this time around, uh, was dealt with pretty swiftly. Um, nobody, no, it felt like nobody was really dragging their feet. Hopefully, really, the hope is, you know, obviously this is in light of the entire Blackhawk situation, um, and it is very soon after. So the NHL obviously made a point of being very quick about it uh, and the ducks too. So, uh, you know, the, the hope is that, you know, even when there isn't, when we're not on the tail end of a massive scandal that, you know, we keep up this kind of accountability and, you know, calling people out for their, their abusive behavior like this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been calling the ducks owners like, Oh, they didn't really know because they're very hands-off owners. And normally we praise owners for being hands-off letting the hockey operations people run the hockey operations. But I find it pretty hard to believe that you have this guy employed for 16 years and everyone else who's part of the team and around the entire league knows that he's not well-liked because he's a dick to everyone. Uh, And they, either the owners, either A, didn't know somehow miraculously, which, I mean, I know being hands-off is good, but you have to at least, you know, keep yourself with an earshot of what's going on. So that would just be irresponsible if they didn't know. Or B, uh, he was GM of this team for so long that they probably thought it was totally fine what he was doing. They were probably like, oh, yeah, he's just, you know, keeping everyone disciplined or whatever other kind of rationalization they try to come up with. And a lot of people are letting them off the hook. Be like, oh, yeah, well, they didn't know. Oh, yeah, look, they're paying for his, his rehab, uh, ignoring the fact in general that they're not helping the victims that we all assume he has based on all the reports that have that came to the NHL, or at least the multiple ones. So there's definitely another angle of this, that it's very strange that the Ducks owners uh, seem to willfully ignore what was going on right beneath their noses. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that, you know, A, that they weren't, they had no idea of what kind of guy this was. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is a guy who's been employed for, you know, what, 13 years, 14 years. Um, There's no way you don't know what kind of person you're dealing with at that point. And, you know, he's their employee, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, at least the chain of command, they weren't too far apart. Uh, if he didn't report to the owners, then, you know, he probably reported to the president who then reported to the owners. So it it, it couldn't have been that far off. And, you know, to, to willfully ignore this kind of behavior for 13 years, I think, is uh, impossible to not know what's going on, at least to some degree. I mean, they had to deal with a fucking lawsuit, right? So, I mean, you had to have known. Uh, so, you know, that's... Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not here to give them any sort of pass in terms of their behavior, and uh, so yeah, the Ducks owners, I think, you know, this was very clearly in response to the culture shift that we've seen in the last, you know, month or so. Mm-hmm. All right, are you ready to talk about that McDavid goal now? All right, let us begin. Oh, well, did we want to talk oh, about actually... the other firing too? Uh, oh wait, what other firing? Jeremy Colton. Um, oh oh yeah i forgot about that yeah because it it was honestly such a non-surprise that it happened uh not just because you know the other blackhawk scandal but literally the first game of the season uh that chicago had at home the fans booed jeremy Colton. it's like have you even ever have they ever even been in person to watch jeremy Colton coach like barely i think 
uh, and they're all like, yeah, first game of the season. We already, we hate you. We can't stand you. And at some point, I think uh, the Blackhawks were like losing by one late in the game. Called and calls a timeout, hands the clipboard to like Taves and Kane or something, like lets his players drop a play. It's like, this is a man who's out of ideas. Uh, so yeah, he's <laughs> gone. Uh, Derek King, I think is the interim head coach. Um, I, I know Jeremy Calden is like, he's very young for a coach. I think he's in his early thirties. So I don't think it's out of the question. He, you know, maybe goes to coach somewhere, somewhere else, like in another league, becomes an assistant coach somewhere, learns more and then gets another crack at it somewhere else. But, uh, his track record up until this point would suggest that he was not ready for an NHL coaching gig. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, he was terrible. He was terrible as a coach, and that whole clipboard incident uh, was really uh, the just a showcase and just how unprepared he was. And, and so, you know, it was only a matter of time. The writing was on the wall before the season even began, really. If they came out to any sort of slow start, he was clearly the first to go. Uh, his his seat was hot from the beginning. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it, it's clear. I mean, if you, <laughs> yeah, you got the Blackhawks uh, fans jeering him in game one. That was insane. Um, it, this is pre what ten game losing streak. What's the record right yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, it's well deserving of a firing, regardless, really, of of who you are as a coach. But you know, Carlton has a track record of uh, being not ready, as you said. So you know, not not surprising at all. And uh, who's who's the guy now? Derek King. Uh, yeah. So that's good for him getting a getting a shot. Not to be confused with Habs legend Dwight King. That's right. That's right. Um, All right. Uh, before okay. we talk about the McDavid goal, I want to read this quote uh, from Haley Salvian's Twitter about Matthew Kachuk. Is the Flames and Sens played each other today, and they chatted at Center Ice, uh, and Matthew said, "It was the first time I saw him with the C, but he knows he was captain back home. It's probably my mom, actually." <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um... I am not even I <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that quote. Um but uh nice. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Because you know the setup is like, oh I'm Captain back home, but then he just realized he's he has totally lied and that it's their mom. <laughs> anyway. Um Alright, now let's talk about that McDavid goal. Uh which honestly sent my timeline into such a frenzy. And I was like, I need to watch this. And a lot of times I'll see people like, oh, what a goal by whoever. And I'm like, okay, interesting. But everyone freaked out simultaneously. Like, what did McDavid just do? And so obviously I went and watched it. And I watched him, you know, skate around into the zone, circle back out of the zone, hold on the puck for like 10 seconds before the main event even happens. And it, you know what it reminded me of is kind of like, an enhanced version of the 100 meter dash in the Olympics because the 100 meter dash is a great event because there's all this hype and then it's done in like about 10 seconds. And then McDavid thing was like, all right, he's about to, cause I knew like I'm about to watch an amazing goal. Apparently when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Boom. It's done. And he just went right by four Rangers as if it was nothing. And my first thought was who are those four Rangers? I'm kind of curious. And if memory serves, it was, I think, like Patrick Nemeth, Dryden Hunt, Kevin Rooney, and maybe Niels Lundqvist, something like that. Uh, so obviously, you know, not the Rangers you would ideally want out on the ice against Connor McDavid. But the fact that there are these four NHL players that are basically just totally hopeless against Connor McDavid 
who just goes right around them with basically no help from any of his teammates, like distract, nothing like that. They were all looking right at him. And he was like, goodbye, I'm going to score now. And I think what a lot of people really appreciated about this was that Connor McDavid seemed as surprised as all of us at what he has just done. You know, I, I find like anyone who's, you know, God tier at something they do, sometimes every now and then they'll just like uh, kind of dis- disengage from reality and do something so amazing. Like, you know what I think of? Uh, Ringo Starr, the drummer of the Beatles. Uh, obviously, you know, one of the most famous drummers of all time. Great drummer. Uh, and it's pretty much a consensus that his best drumming performance of all time is in the Beatles song Rain. And people have asked him about it, like reporters and stuff. Like, do you remember uh, recording Rain? And he was like, not at all. I think I might have been in a trance or something. Because listening back, I'm like, I don't know how I was able to do that and if I could ever do that again. And I that kind of reminds me of McDavid on this goal. He kind of just snapped out of it for a second, woke up, and was like, I can't believe I just managed to pull that off. There was a, a degree of shock on his face that was like he was watching himself like from a fan's perspective. And people saying like, goal of the year best goal McDavid's ever scored. I, I honestly, I can't think of a better one. So, so there you go. Goal of the century, maybe even it was mind blowing. Yeah, no, that's absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. And, and the look on his face was absolutely priceless. It was, it's part of what makes that goal so fun to watch. I mean, the, the reaction afterwards is not even like, oh yeah, prop props. He was like, you know, he's got, he's, his, whole, his own mouth has hit the floor. His own jaw has hit the floor. So uh, yeah, no, just the like, the, the level of skill involved because for, you know, like professional defensemen in the NHL. And not only that, he's, you know, he's up against, I think, was it Shesterkin that was? Or no, it was Georgiev. Yeah. Uh, but like, oh, that's, you know, still, uh, whoever it was, it was, um, you know, a bona fide, good NHL goaltender. You just say, it was as if he wasn't even there. He just, like, you know, casually flipped it once he had, like, you know, maneuvered his way through four fucking players. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned how, like, his teammates were of no use whatsoever. I mean, it seems like, you know, in the lead up prior to entering the zone, you know, he was, like, kind of frustrated, like, bro, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, to his teammates, like, you know, they can't get it sorted out. They can't seem to get any sort of coordination going. So he's like, fuck it. All right. I'm just going to go in all alone. And like, you see it and like his players aren't supporting him at all in terms. And, and that's what makes us part of it. What makes it so remarkable is that, yeah, he's draw he's single-handedly drawing the four, four Rangers assignments. Like they're all focused on taking the puck away from him, you know, getting the stick in there and what, whatnot. And he manages to dance around. It's completely, t- I mean mm-hmm. like the, the, just the speed with which he's working um, to, you know, anticipate and avoid each one of their, you know, stick checks or whatever it is. Uh, and then to come out the other end and score is, uh, yeah, it's fucking insane. <laughs> um, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to do that against beer league players, let alone, you know, four bona fide NHLers, no matter the uh, disparity or, or the no matter the, the bad line matching that just happened in that moment. They're still NHL players. And, you know, if you got four guys guarding one guy, you're expected to manage the defense there. But, uh yeah, McDavid managed to. I don't like honestly. Have we seen someone single-handedly enter the zone, deke everybody out, and score like that? Like I, I can't recall such a goal. Seeing such a goal in my life. I'm watching it again right now. The Sportsnet uh, Twitter video has two million views, uh, and I feel he kind of one interesting thing. He kind of makes it look like none of the Rangers were even trying. Like, that's just how much better he is than all of them. It kind of looks like the Rangers were putting no effort in, which is obviously not true. And just the one he was directly face-to-face with, he just 
Patrick Nemeth is just totally hopeless. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? Like, he's defending that like you would defend a normal player. Uh, and, you know, he has his stick in the right position. His body's in the right position. But McDavid, it's like he processes everything like a computer would. Like, he knows exactly where all the four players' skates and sticks and bodies are going to be at any given split second in the next five seconds. And he just perfectly evades it. It's like he's processing everything in slow motion. It's, it's unbelievable. And I think part of the reason Connor McDavid is kind of like endearing to some people as a player is because as a person, he doesn't at all give off like, oh, I'm, you know, the best hockey player in the entire world vibes at all, which I guess is par for the course for hockey. But even someone like Sidney Crosby, you know, like he'll walk or especially Ovechkin, I guess, is a is kind of a different thing. But even someone like Sidney Crosby, who, you know, if you think of as being like, oh, you know, generic boring hockey superstar or whatever i imagine he'll like walk into a room and have some sort of presence and some sort of charisma about him Connor mcdavid just seems like the most socially awkward person you could imagine do you remember that picture oh <laughs> uh, when he was like i think he it was early in his career so he was probably like 19 20 21 maybe and apparently there were like two fans or two people who recognized him at an airport and asked uh, if they could have a picture with him and so he took a picture with him and the picture ended up making the rounds, and it was like you can tell that man Connor McDavid would rather be anywhere else except being photographed. <laughs> and I don't think it was necessarily just the fact that like, oh, these are two strangers, but it was just like I hate being photographed. How much should I smile? What should I do with my hands? These these you know everyday insecurities that everyone has just seem to you know, Connor McDavid is very human in that way. And then all of a sudden he steps on the ice and he's a total maniac robot that no one can keep up with. Yeah, I mean, like, in that picture, it's not even, like, he's, it's not even, like, the kind of thing where he's, like, I'll get these uh, peasants out of my way. Uh, let's get out of here. It's more, like, <laughs> socially awkward yeah. teenager vibes. Uh, exactly. And so, you know, you love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, and, yeah, it's, <laughs> so, yeah, the contract is pretty, the, the contrast between the two is pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, this goal is so fucking crazy. I mean, like, honestly, you could have, you could have zero Oilers on the ice aside from him and he still would have pulled that goal off. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how undistracted though. No, like that's how undistracted those, those Rangers were with the other players. Right. <laughs> Nobody was looking at, I don't know, whoever it is, like, you know, skating on the wing behind him. Um, they're all just, you know, and, and, you know, Nemus got to stick out, you know, waving it away too slow and. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, he, not only did he anticipate, like, the four players, he anticipated, you know, Georgiev's uh, move to the right. So, he, you know, he made it look so easy. He made it look so easy. And that's what's part of what's so crazy. You know what I mean? Like, he just, it was like, pop, 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 and he's in. He's done. It's over. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's only when you take a step back, you're like, oh, he really just, he really just, like, stood at the blue line. His, like, line mates, like, shifting right, like, fuck it. And then uh, he just made light work of it. And that's mm-hmm. uh, crazy, crazy. Speaking and, of McDavid, yeah, this is, uh... Uh, his his goal tonight against the Blues uh, is his 600th career point. Uh, he got it done. This is a tweet from the Athletic NHL. Point number 600 for Connor McDavid. The 24-year-old got it done in 421 games. Only five players in NHL history accomplished this feat in fewer games. And the only reply I see right now to this tweet is from someone named Joe. It says, can someone check Pareko's plus minus the past five or six games? He's been out there for a lot of goals. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Someone's a, a Blues fan. Blues fan 571. Uh, <laughs> burner account. 
Uh, and so, you know, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, this guy's, even this season, I mean, he's taken it to such a crazy fucking level, uh, both in last year's shortened season uh, and to start off this one. I mean, you know, we, we knew a couple seasons ago, two, three years ago, this guy's, you know, generational talent, you know, best player in the world, all that. But he has taken it to a fucking absolutely like ridiculous pace right now um, with his skill and obviously with the production. Uh, it's, yeah, we, we just don't see that kind of shit. Uh Ever. Like it's the, the amount of points he scores per game, he's so consistently scoring points. And uh like he and he drives the off the Oilers offense completely with him and dry I mean it's uh it's it's almost inconceivable just how, how much he's scoring. It's it's a remarkable volume. I mean, obviously we talk about six hundred points, that's very fast, but that's over the course of the season. Even just over you know the course of last season and the start of this one, it's like he's taking it to just another level. Um, compared to what he did to start a season, which makes sense, obviously player development and as he matures, but it's just it's mind-boggling. Yeah, I think honestly, when we ultimately look back on McDavid's career when it's finished one day, I think b- based on this early pattern, we're going to look back on him as like in the final conversation for greatest player of all time. Um, it's trending that way just because of how he's gotten better every single year despite the fact that it stopped seeming possible. Like in rookie year, 48 points in 45 games, when he was injured for about half of it. He gets 100 points in his sophomore year, then 108, then 116, then 97 and 64, then 105 and 56. That's an insane pace. And this year, he's scoring almost two points per game, 25 points in 13 games. No one has scored at that pace since I think like Mario Lemieux or something like that. So he just continues to find better and better ways to score nobody can figure him out it's getting harder and harder for opposing uh players to stop him and uh yeah it's just insane that he's similarly to how Sidney Crosby people were talking about you know wait like a weaknesses in his game and every offseason he would come back and he would like he would have it totally fixed like face-offs were weakness and early on in his career and then one day he showed up and he was like one of the best face-off centers in the entire NHL and Connor McDavid it just seems like He's always improving, even when it seems like he couldn't possibly get any better. There's always a next level for him to get to. And, I mean, he's 24 years old, which is usually around the age that a player, especially a forward, would peak. I feel like I don't feel safe at all saying that we've seen the best version of Connor McDavid that there is, considering he just seems so dedicated to getting better and better every single year. Yeah, you look at his development track, I mean, like... Oh my goodness! Like you know, Connor McDavid at twenty six, at twenty eight, do we think he's gonna be worse than he is right now? Given how he's grown his game, like I find that very hard to believe. Uh, and you know, the crazy thing is, it's like you know, it doesn't even feel like a hot streak right now for Connor McDavid. It's like we're barely talking about. It. Obviously, you know, he had to score that ridiculous goal, but prior to that, you know, it felt like <laughs> he was barely being discussed, and he's out here, you know being two points a game. So it's not even like this guy's on like a crazy heater. It doesn't give that kind of vibe at all. Right, everybody's just, just like, okay, okay, this is this is the norm now. I mean, he did it all of last season, and you know, it was pretty crazy last season. You know, like everybody was like, oh my god, a hundred? Is he gonna hit a hundred points in fifty six games? He ended up scoring like hundred and five or whatever it was, and and you know, that was big, big fanfare, and deservedly so. But this year, it's like we come back, he's still doing the same thing, and everybody's like, all right, that's it. This is Connor McDavid. Um, we you know we're not. It's like it's what we expect, and if he delivers, and it's uh. Yeah, what's next? Are we looking at a three point per game, uh, points per game pace? I, I mean, mm-hmm. like, no, it's, it's fucking insane. It's crazy. Uh huh. So, 
if he keeps up this current points pace, uh, is like slightly under two points a game. So I think he could he could feasibly end up at like 150 points this year. Do you think he does it? Wow. I mean, I in, barring injury, knock on some wood there. Uh, yeah, I think we do because there's nothing uh, that's so going to slow this guy down. He's only going to get better. Was that? Oh, that's very exciting. I said, oh, that's so yeah, exciting. That's, so that's very exciting. Yeah. All right. Hell yeah. Uh, speaking of wait. speaking of superstars, we got to move on to Zachary Fikali, legend, yep. greatest of all, icon. Uh huh. How how's that for a segue? Zachary Fikali, of course. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, <laughs> in his draft year, 2013, everyone was saying, "Oh, you know this goalie. He's a he's a real deal. He's gonna go in the first round." Craig Button said he's never seen an 18-year-old play the position as well as Zach Fikali does. He mock-drafted him 11th overall to Philadelphia. I remember extremely vividly. And he fell into the second round where none other than the Montreal Canadiens took him 36th overall. He won a World Junior Gold Medal for Team Canada. And he wasn't given a qualifying offer when he started to not be that good. But he has paid his dues in the minors. And he finally got his chance with the Washington Capitals. And then the show, the National Hockey League, a couple nights ago, Andy pitches a shutout, an excellent performance, which I regret to inform you I didn't actually watch the entirety of. But based on the fact that he got a shutout, I imagine it was an excellent performance. And apparently, Zachary Kelly becomes the first Capitals goalie to earn a shutout in NHL debut. Uh, so good for him even though he was immediately sent to the minors after. And I've got to say, <laughs> I think it would be pretty cool if he never played an NHL game again. One game, no goals against. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're tied for the all-time lead in uh, save percentage and goals against average in the National Hockey League. So Hall of Fame incoming for Zachary Kelly. Congratulations to you. Yeah, he, if, if he never comes back to the NHL, he would be you know arriving but also leaving at his peak. And uh, we respect that here. So, yeah, been a long road for Fukali. I mean, uh, he, he comes from Montreal, doesn't he? Or like Laval or some shit. So, you know. Uh, yeah, born and, in Laval. Uh, there we go. There we go. So, uh, yeah, Montreal boy. If we can claim him here on the island. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good story. And, you know, as, as a former half pick, you can't help but cheer for him. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, it was fantastic. You know, now all of a sudden he's in the history books. Can't never take that away from him. And so, yeah, sucks that he, sucks that he was immediately sent down to Hershey. But, uh, I mean, that's to be expected. He's not the second best goalie in the organization. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. Unless. Here we go. Unless he's better than Samson Alvin Vanacek. Yeah. I mean, this reminds yeah. me just like the Hamburglar run, except Washington's already pretty Ooh. good. Honestly, I feel like that Andrew Hammond run kind of cursed uh, a generation of fans because any time a minor league goalie is like a little bit good for like two games, it's like, oh, is this going to be just like the Hamburglar run? And of course, it never will be because that happens like once every 30 years, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, you can't help but think about it when you're talking about Zachary Cali or Beck Warm or whoever it is you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, man. Hammond set the, he set the bar way too high. All right. Sometimes you got to... Yeah. You gotta accept the small dubs. You gotta say, and we will properly and appropriately celebrate Zach Wickley for his great accomplishment. And uh, whenever mm-hmm. Beck Warm is his turn, 
we'll celebrate them as well. And so, yeah, we, we love our goalies, even if they only come up, you know, one, two, three games in the NHL. Well, uh, we're, we're out here for you. So uh, shout out to Zach mm-hmm. Pacali. Yeah, it's pretty good. He got his moment in the spotlight. I mean, like everybody was fucking talking about him for a minute. So, uh, you know, very cool. Very cool because he felt like you know, you know who else for a few years. Once, once he got you know who else left. got his moment in the spotlight is Paul Caulfield, who's doing his part to, <laughs> to fight toxic cancel culture of the Utica Comets Twitter account or whatever. Uh, <laughs> because the Utica Comets crossed the line when they said something like, I don't fucking remember, at Cole Caulfield, where are you in this game? Because they said you were playing, but we barely seen you at all this first period. Uh, and man, this sucked on so many levels. That tweet, first of all, fucking cringe. I, I, first of all, it's fucking cringe, man, because it's supposed <laughs> to. You're you're trying to be in here like, oh, you know, we're trash talking the other team, but like that's not clever at all to be like, we haven't seen you, Cole Caulfield. <laughs> and also, people pointed out like, you know, uh, actually tagging a player is it doesn't improve the joke. And it's just like unnecessary and probably crosses some kind of unspoken line. Uh, because not that I'm worried Cole Caulfield's gonna get home from the game and turn on his phone and see like, oh no, the Utica Comets bullied me in the first period. Like he, he, I assume it wouldn't affect him that much. Although it did affect his dad Paul quite a bit apparently, because he uh, took the time to say the Utica Comets should I don't know feel ashamed or something for bullying his son on cyberbullying cold coffee on social media i don't know anyway i would absolutely not call it the utica utica comments did cyberbullying i don't think it was uh reprehensible i also don't think it was cool or fun at all and i think the fact that the ahl was so quick to be like utica comments that's bad behavior when we've seen all the other shit that hockey teams and executives have gotten away with over the past uh you know forever uh it's an interesting dichotomy to say the least. Uh, but yeah, the Utica Comets, man. What were you thinking with that tweet on multiple levels? I could, here, I haven't even thought about this. I'm going to try and come up with a funnier chirp uh, about Cold Caulfield. Um, hmm. Yeah, the, I kind of, I think I got a little bit too ahead of myself there. I probably should have thought of something before. I was like, let me come up with something because I don't have anything. But Utah, give me a minute. I'll come up with one. All right, sure. Go ahead. Take your time. Um, so yeah, this is this is to put it yeah to put it very succinctly succinctly. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that word. Succinctly. Uh, very cringe. Succ- say that succinctly? again. Succinctly. 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 That's a tricky one. A lot of fucking C's in that word. Um, yeah. succinct- to put it succinctly, it's fucking cringe. All right, man. Um, yeah, first of all, you bring up the AHL thing. I mean, yeah, it, that's a, that's a bit of a fucking head scratcher. Um, you know, like that's really the, the kind of bad behavior that you, like, it, it's surprising a, that they went ahead and like, you know, like, ah, oh, shut up Utica, but also like the, the speed with which they disciplined when you have worse shit going on day in, day out, even just in the AHL, uh, is, uh, you know, uh, a bit troubling, I would say to put it lightly. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Paul Caulfield, is there something, you know, we're talking about dads named Paul out in hockey. seems like there's a, there's a handful of them and they like to cause a bit of a stir Shout to Paul Marner out there. Um, but yeah, like, uh, he's being a bit silly. I mean, look, I understand looking out for your son and all that. And like, you know, yeah, he gets tagged and then maybe some trolls come over and like at him on Twitter too. And like, you know, but like, Ah, it's no big deal. Obviously, you don't want kind of you don't want like teams engaging in that stuff. You know, like uh uh-huh, go, you know, like that sounds like that sounds like some barstool shit. Honestly, like 
oh, go target this player and whatever the fuck. But, um, I mean, in this case, it seemed pretty uh, out of nowhere and to make a big fuss out of it. And, uh, yeah, Utica smartened up a bit. You're just, you sound stupid. And uh, not only did he get slapped in the wrist by the league, um, but, uh, yeah, the whole thing is just dumb, all right? I do not have a better image of the Utica comments now that I know that they tweeted that shit. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I certainly won't moving forward. So, you know, that's, and I, you know, I can't, I can't possibly applaud their social media manager team, management team. Uh it's uh yeah this this you know follows a line of, of dumb hockey Twitter teams uh trying to seem cool and hip, um it just seems like you know it seems like they misstep every so like well not once every often like pretty pretty often um and yeah the result is this a stupid skirmish as stupid as you can get very petty and uh yeah we're talking about AHL Twitter beef how dumb is that? <laughs> All right, I came up with one. Uh, it's not that All good, right, but I I'm pretty sure it's okay. better. And it's simple it's as bar. well. Yeah, it it's is okay. a low bar. The Utica comments yeah. could have slash should have tweeted instead. I sure am glad Cole Caulfield's not in the opposing lineup tonight. It's the same idea. <laughs> it's it's to the point. And, uh, you know, it, it acknowledges subtly that uh, you've barely noticed him without saying, like, we haven't even noticed you. I thought you were playing. Yeah, that one I gotta say has some room for confusion. Like, well, what the fuck? If you saw that on your Twitter timeline, <laughs> you'd be like, "Bro," but, but to be fair, it wouldn't start the stupidity. And I think by default, your comment wins. Now, that's not to lodge your comments. Don't sit on your laurels just yet. It's still a pretty bad one. And I would, if you tweeted that, I would rightfully admonish you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but what would <laughs> it cause a, uh, a you know a, a beef that people are talking like a significant pe- amount of people are talking about? I don't think so. So uh, yeah, I'll give yours a pass. I'll be a bit. I'm hesitant. pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure people. I think you're kind of underselling mine because uh, it am I? It uh, it does everything that the Utica Commons initial tweet wanted to do without being cringe because. I, I, what you say about there being room for confusion, I don't think that exists amongst anyone worth actually paying attention to because for every bozo <laughs> who's like, what are you talking about? Cold Caulfield's in the lineup. You're going to have 10 people who are like, haha, I get the joke is because you barely noticed Cold Caulfield. Or, or do you think I'm overestimating the intelligence of the average fan? I think you just answered your own fucking question um, <laughs> with that question. You're asking yourself, are you overestimating the intelligence of an average hockey fan? Um, the, the answer to that question is perpetually yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, you tweet that out. I think you're going to get a lot of like, uh, actually, he's playing on the Rockets first line. What are you talking about? And like that gets like more likes than your tweet. And then you just want to, you just want to delete the account. Get the joke. Exactly, it leaves you. You don't want to get a ratio. That's even worse than starting a random Twitter beef. So, you know, I yeah, but I still, I still ratio is higher, but only slightly, only a two point five on ten compared to this negative three on ten that was posted by the comments. All right, I'll take it. Being in the positives, I'll take it. Anyway, all right. Uh, cool. Before we get started on the trivia this week, I want to say that Jay Fresh has brought to my attention Connor McDavid has 150 points in his last 82 games and Leon Dreisaitl has 129. Bah, what the hell? That's too crazy. So what are, How many games? Last 82 games? 82 so that's, games. That's like 
Man, that's like a point. That's more than a point and a half a game for both of them. Almost two for Connor. Um, yeah, that's that's fucking wacko. They they better they better not waste this this duo. I mean, we say it every time we talk about them, but uh, they better not waste it's instrumental this, this now duo. more than ever. They better get a great goalie like Miko Koskinen or Mike Smith and some a great second pairing like Duncan Keith and Cody Cece to really supplement this team. Yeah. Yeah, the, the hope is not too great in the land of Ken Holland. To be fair, Koskinen and Smith have both been good this year. So they haven't sunk them yet. Although when they start you know, facing top-tier shooting talent in the playoffs, I can't, can't imagine they'll hold up too good. All right. So, uh, okay. If uh, there's nothing else in the news that we want to cover this week, do we want to do a standing segment real quick, or we'll save that for next week? Uh, yeah, we'll save it. We've already we're already at an hour twelve, right. so let's get going on this trivia. Sure thing. Okay, all right. This one's a, a pretty uh, basic quiz, I would say. Um, it's pretty topical. I inspired myself from the news of the week, which is uh, coaches getting fired, um, notably Jeremy Colton. So uh, the topic of this quiz, uh, I think I have eight questions is uh, interim coaches. So I'll give you a short description. These are our coaches from the last, like, generally the last five years. Um, And you just give me the name of the interim coach that was uh, there. That was promptly hired. I'm not feeling very confident about this already. All right. We uh, We have eight questions. So how many? There really aren't many, by the way. Not too many. Not too many uh, interim coaches that weren't like Habs. There were a couple that were like Habs, you know. Um, with like Julien and Ducharme, they're too obvious. So I had to leave them out for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, not too many. I, I, I tried to go for 10, but I kind of ran out of fucking interim coaches. So yeah. All right. We got, we got, we got eight. I'm, I'm not feeling good about this at all. Let's go five for eight. Five for eight. Okay. I think you'll blow by it. I think I have I've faith in you. All right. Oh, thanks. Let's go. Okay. Um yeah. So after the Sharks, so question 1. After the Sharks fired their coach in December of 2019, this guy uh was promptly named the interim coach. Um was it Bob Bugner? It was Bob Bugner. Very nice. nice. Still, still currently there. Good yeah, shit. I thought so. All right, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Next question. After, you know, December 3rd, 2019, when the Devils fired their coach, this dude was promoted to the top job. Uh, I remember that it was John Hines who was fired. Uh, Oh, oh, this guy. Oh, Elaine Nasruddin. Wow. Excellent. I, you know, when I looked at his name today, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. That's a name that I had trouble remembering back then, I remember. And I still, yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot his name today. Uh huh. I remember not really um being able to remember it as well. I think he was he's an assistant coach of the Devils right now, and I'm looking up because, uh, I think he was the first um like a uh, Indian head coach in NHL history. Uh. Lebanese, oh yeah, Lebanese, not Indian. He is one of four NHL players ever of Lebanese descent, along with John Hanna, Ed Hatoum, and Nazem Kadri, according to Wikipedia. So that was a fun fact. And that was the main reason I thought that it was, oh, I remember he was uh, the first something. Uh, and that's when I remembered Elaine Nasruddin. So. Very yeah, cool. Two for two. Very nice. Yeah, if you ask me to 
You asked me to name him today off the street before I did the research for this. Uh, I would not be able to. All right. Next up, after uh, Bill Peters resigned in disgrace, uh, who was his replacement out in Calgary? Uh, Jeff Ward. There we go. Good shit. Three for three. He's rolling. I'm doing much better than I thought I, I would. You. There we go. Good shit. Okay. All right. Um. Hmm. I maybe it's because I thought these hints would be more obscure. It would be like this coach, coached. Uh, like I don't know. It would be more obscure facts than just date and team. Uh, oops. Uh, all right. <laughs> so on uh <laughs> on March first, twenty nineteen, after Guy Boucher uh was fired, this uh literal nobody um was uh, promoted, and he happens to be a uh current Blackhawks assistant who was passed over for the as Colton's replacement just now. So who is this guy? Wait, Guy Boucher, are you allowed to tell me what team he was fired from? Or is that concealed from me? I I, I it has been concealed from you. March first, okay. twenty nineteen is the date. Yeah, man, where was Guy Boucher coaching? Uh was it I he was it was Ottawa at some point. I don't know if it was that recently though. Uh, but I'll go with that. And it wouldn't have been DJ Smith that replaced him right away because I think that was an off-season thing. Oh, and also you said it's a current Chicago assistant coach, which DJ Smith is not. Uh, do I have a time limit? Not really. It hasn't been built in. All right. Okay. I have. I have nothing. I'm drawing total blanks. So, I'll. I'll fail this question all right that's why i prefaced it with this literal nobody um yeah his name is mark crawford so uh oh yeah 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 i remember mark crawford's not a nobody he was like a coach at some point <laughs> yeah that, that that about describes him um <laughs> i gotta say <laughs> no no like 10 years ago 15 years ago he was like a head coach who was like one of the hockey men uh, was he now? Oh yeah, he has a look. So. He has the look. Uh, he was. Let's see. Oh, he was. He won the cup as the coach of the Avalanche in '96. So yeah, uh, that's it. Very, very hockey man. All right. Next up, um, you know, after uh, sending away Gerard Gallant, uh, this team, re- this team replaced him with this guy. You don't need to name the team; just name the guy, who also happened to be. Their short-lived general manager. Okay, because at first I was like, Gerard Glant's been fired more than once, and is there before replaced more than once. So this guy who happened to be their short-lived general manager. Okay, so this was the one in Florida, and I can picture the guy's face, but for some reason, and I can like remember so many things. He was like, oh, like the analytics guy. He wasn't really an analytics guy at all. Uh. Oh, I feel like his first name was Tom. I'm almost certain his first name was Tom, and I can't remember his last name. Oh man, he had like gray hair. And do I get all right? If I get the first name right, do I get half a point? I'm tempted to say no, <laughs> but sure, I'll give you half a point. If okay. if it's, it is indeed if correct. I get the first, okay. 
Uh, I don't want to give up on this one because I feel like if I just think hard enough, the name will come to me. It's like because he was, I think like his first move was like the that Jared McCann fleecing from Vancouver, and I was like, oh, this guy's a genius. And he made a bunch of changes to the Panthers in that offseason right after they had finally made the playoffs, and then they sucked for a couple more years. And then he got fired. Oh man, this is Tom Rowe. Wow, very nice. Tom Rowe, indeed. Okay, the name Tom Rowe had been popping into my mind throughout that minute, but I kept on being like, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. But I figured I'd go with it. And I got it right. There you go. Care to spell Rowe? Is it R-O-W-E? Yes, it is. All right. So you had the right name in there. Good shit. All right. Four out of five so far. Okay, next up. So uh, after the Blues fired their coach... They turned around uh, a bad start to their season to go 22-8-2 and and making the playoffs. Uh, sound familiar? No, it's not Craig Berube. Oh, that was your... That's part of the hint? Sound familiar? No, it's not Craig Berube? Yes. Exactly. Oh. Oh, that's oh, that's funny. Have They have, like, multiple intermed coaches recent memory who turned around a bad start yep. to have a... Because <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say twenty two eight and two. I feel like that Blues team that ended up winning the cup was better than that, and uh, near the end of the regular season. Uh, the only other potential, and I can think of, is Mikey Eo. Was it Mikey Eo? It was Mikey Eo. Good shit. Yay. Good shit. All right. Okay, so that's it. That's a win to the quiz. Um, we got we got two other questions. All right. All let's right. see if I can do Next even up. better. Uh, just give me one second before I actually make sure the uh, the hint is valid. All right, perfect. Okay. After uh, Jack Capuano was last fired for being bad at his job, uh, this guy was promoted and uh, promptly never made the playoffs as a head coach. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I, I'm not sure if Jack Capuano has had a head coaching job since the Islanders. But on the other hand, that was a while ago, I think. Um, it's not very Trots, obviously. So it never made the playoffs. I'm trying to think. Because uh, the Islanders made the playoffs in 2016. And I think they missed in 17 and 18. I do not remember who was the head coach of the Islanders in those years, like before Trouts, after Capuano. Was Capuano a head coach somewhere else? After the Islanders? I think he's an assistant with Ottawa now. I don't I'm going to have to punt this question as well because I'm at a loss. All right. Um, the answer is Doug Waite. Oh, yeah, there. I remember that. For like half a season in 16, or was it 17, uh, after Capone was fired, and then coached for a season after, missed the playoffs. They sucked shit, and then they fired him, and then they got trots. Um, so yeah, that is the Doug Waite story. Okay. All right. Next up. I'm glad I made you Doug Waite for that one. <laughs> oh, there we go. I, I thought about putting a, a weight joke in there. Maybe like the word pound or some shit like that. Uh-huh. I thought it might be too it's obvious. Funny because, though. 
Doug and Wade are two very punnable names. Yeah. Doug is on grave. Like if Yeah, like if you if you put like a piece of exercise equipment a couple of feet underground and you could, you know, dig it up and be like, Yeah, look at <laughs> Doug Wade. <laughs> or oh, that's, that's that, the, the dog from the or that dog from the movie up. If you want him to wait for something, he'll just be like, Doug, wait. <laughs> Boo. Thank Boo, you, shame thank on you. you. I'll be here all night. Shame on you. Please, don't. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, okay. We've, we've been on light. We've been uh, blessed with, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Doug Wait. Uh, anyways, Doug Wait. Well, Doug Wait. Okay. All right, last question. After uh, Joel Quenville was fired, uh, they they promoted this guy for the rest of the season. Uh, for the rest of the season would imply that you're not talking about this year's Florida Panthers. Oh, and also the fact that you said fired would imply it's not this year's Florida Panthers. Uh, are you talking about Jeremy Colleton? It is indeed Jeremy Colleton. Yeah, easy one to close it out. Good shit. All right, six for eight, a bonus point, and uh, that concludes this quiz. You can prepare to lose for the next two weeks, so savor this one. Um, cause you got we got the Degasu in the draft coming up. Yeah. Oh, but I'm pretty sure wait, I was losing the draft. Let me just go check to see what the final results were. Um, oh yeah, so what happened I, there? I'm pretty sure you were victorious in the board game draft. It saddens me to say. Uh, it would appear that uh, the people aren't as fond of Labyrinth as I perhaps initially thought. Uh, yeah, Maybe you won with a uh, whopping 69% of the vote. So, wow, quite a dominant performance on your part. Um, congratulations, I guess. Your chest was overrated. Yeah, maybe you did. Anyway, um, let's. We got. You know, what we got to <laughs> do is we have to. We have to pick a team for this week. Uh, yes, we a do. Team to follow. Team to curse. Uh, we haven't we haven't watched a legitimate like blank team week win since I think like Vancouver, right? <laughs> well, how many have we had? We've only it's had been three. A while. We had Vancouver, exactly. uh, who won like at least a game. Then it was Arizona who lost out. Then it was Florida who lost out. Who would we want to bring the curse to this week? Hmm. Let's see. First of all, should we bring it to oh, Toronto just for fun? Sure, Toronto just for kicks. Uh, we haven't we hadn't congratulated Arizona on winning a game, by the way, um, this season. Oh yes, they beat uh, the Kraken actually, who are so, barely uh, even real. But exactly, so that's the threshold for for losing for for a win for the Coyotes. They got to beat a uh, barely existing team. So good for them. The bar's low. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I want to shout out uh, the fact that the Coyotes are on pace to be the worst team in NHL history, uh, with one win in fifteen games. They're on base no, for God. under five and a half wins. Uh, and obviously wow. the lowest win total of all time is eight. The expansion Washington Capitals. The Coyotes right now would have to play better than they have so far to get to seven wins. <laughs> what's, their, what's their point base right now? Uh, that's um, a good, I think they're one thirteen and one with three points in 15 games. Uh, which means that they are getting about uh, you know one point every five games. 
Yep. One point every five games. So uh, that's uh, we're on twenty point watch this fucking season, people. Twenty point watch. We thought we hit watch. a new low with Detroit. <laughs> we thought we hit a new low with Detroit a few seasons ago with forty point watch. This is uh, we're on twenty point watch for for Coyotes fans. That's a uh, fucking brutal. Wait, uh, is that their no? Season. Their actual pace is like about closer to sixteen points. Exactly. So we're on, we're on twenty point watch because uh, yeah, they're on so. track to miss it. So they're on track to miss it by twenty percent. Um, wow. That's <laughs> what a beautiful team. What a beautiful fucking team. Ah, uh, God, Amazing. fold them already. All right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So we're picking Toronto. Um, we'll well, let's just make sure week. they play a decent amount of week. games this week. Let's okay. just make right, sure that we don't end up with like, oh, they only playing like two games. Uh, all right, they're playing Tuesday. They're playing Thursday, and I imagine Saturday as well. Uh, yeah, so we're good. All right. A three-game week. Preds, Rangers, and Penguins. All right. Oh, Penguins, that's fun. I mean, they've been good since Looking they uh, lost like seven ones, right? So that's, uh, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> Revenge match. All right. Thank you very okay. much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, Leafs week, and a game of Guess Who as well. Uh Let's see how I lose next time. Very interested to find out in what manner will I find my defeat because uh, it's been different every week. Actually, that's not even that true. It's been pretty much the same every week. Uh, yeah. The end. Yeah.